The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon, and welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. Happy New Year. I'm Arti Swaminathan. I'm a housing reporter with Market Watch, and I am your host for today. And on today's episode, we're joined by Glenn Kelman, who is the CEO of Redfin, which is a company I'm sure you've, you've heard about. So, Glenn, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So, I'm just going to jump right into it because we Let's have so many it. questions. Yeah, we have so many questions. The audience has so many questions. So, 2022, what a year, Glenn. Like, mortgage rates went from 2% at the beginning to 7% and sales just fell off a cliff. So you were in the middle of it all, yeah. right? So in your words, wrap 2023 up for me. What was it like? Oh, well, it was a total roller coaster. We're used to volatility in the housing market. This is a very macro sensitive business and we've tried to build all sorts of buffers against it, but I'm not sure anything could have prepared us for such a wild ride up and such a fast slide down. So everyone is adjusting as quickly as we can. It's a double whammy for Redfin because in the capital markets, capital became more expensive. Uh, so there was a real premium on profits. And at the same time, housing demand fell off a cliff. And so we've just been adjusting as quickly as we could. I think it'll be a better 2023 than a 2022 for Redfin. <laughs> so let's look to the future on that note. So 2023 real estate, are sales going to improve? Will home prices fall further? People have a lot of questions. So what are some of the two or three things that you think will improve in 2023? Or do you think the situation is more or less going to be the same? Well, I don't think it can possibly be the same just because 2022 started so strong and ended in such a dreadful state. Whereas in 2023, all of that is already built into the market. We do expect there to be a real sales standoff. It's just hard when the market is changing to put buyers and sellers together. Eventually, though, the buyers are going to come back into the market and look for opportunities. Already, we see that with cash investors who are less sensitive to mortgage rates. Uh, but we're also seeing even people who do have to borrow the money starting to say, well, as housing prices come down, I want to be opportunistic here, knowing that they can refinance the mortgage in a few years if rates come back down. Mm -hmm. How far do you think housing prices will fall? I mean, everyone has a prediction. Do you have one? Does Redfin have one for 2023? Oh, I think housing prices will fall at least 10%. Um, if you look at what happened between 2020 and 2022, housing prices increased 40%. And that's just an unprecedented rate of gain. It isn't correlated with any increase in income. So homes just became significantly less affordable. And now that you couple that with rising mortgage rates, where the same house just costs twice as much because rates went from 3% to 7 and you've got a whole group of Americans who can't afford a home. And that's right as millennials have come of home buying age. So we see sellers 
withdrawing from the market, deciding to rent their home instead, but now rents are falling too. And so there really isn't a liquidity option left for many people who own a home but don't want to live there anymore. And so the only solution is for prices to fall. And it seems that the Fed is fairly determined to drive that, that part of their inflation metric that they're looking at is whether home prices have eased. And so we could see that as a calamity. I've been on so many different podcasts and TV shows complaining about high home prices. Redfin is here to make housing more affordable. I know that it affects homeowners. I am one of them. But at the same time, I think we have to make room for the next generation to be able to buy a home. <laughs> and that is really something that I've been following, the inventory, the supply of homes, right? Um, there are so many homes in the pipeline in terms of, that are under construction, but we haven't really yeah. seen them hit the market. And to that end, we're seeing the number of new homes being sold go up while the number of existing home sales go down. So what is what is going on here? I mean, are builders just making a good deal, <laughs> offering a good deal for buyers? Well, I think... One of the reasons that home price declines have been understated is because the builders are offering so many different deals. They're offering real estate agents a raffle for a new car. They're throwing in different appliances for the consumer. Uh, they're buying down the mortgage rate. It's really insane incentives, especially in places like Las Vegas. And so their goal is to avoid creating a public record of a low sale price because the next buyer who comes in is going to want an even lower price than that. So instead they keep the public price high, but they have all these incentives offered to both the home buyer and the agent. And that's because holding on to inventory when the cost of capital for the builder has shot through the roof is just so painful. And so that's why the builders are trying to liquidate their inventory as quickly as possible but I do think one limit on how far home prices can fall is just how low the inventory still is. So five years ago, I think we had 1.3 million units for sale. And in the pandemic, that obviously came really far down, but we're still at only half that level. And five years ago, it was a buyer's market. So, or excuse me, a seller's market <laughs> where inventory was really low. So we just haven't solved this problem that there's so much rate locked inventory. There are so many homes where people look at what they could sell it for, and then they decide instead that they're going to rent the property. We had a huge number of customers withdraw their listings at the end of the year. That's not atypical. But what is unusual is that some of those people said, don't call me in January or February. I'm not going to relist at the beginning of a new home buying season. Instead, I'm going to test the rental market. So inventory is going to be a problem for a long time to come because it's just an artifact of having incredibly low rates for a couple of years. Everyone who could refinance their mortgage did. 90% of America has a mortgage under 5% if they own a home at all. And so those people are going to hold on to that mortgage as long as they possibly can. That's really interesting that you said homeowners are turning to the rental market because in their mind, rents are really high, right? So it's, it's a psychological yeah. thing. It takes a while for people to catch up to realities but but the rental market is the pressure has also been easing we're seeing more units come yeah. online so tell us a little bit about how you see the rental market playing out and also are we creating or encouraging a generation of renters versus homeowners uh, well we are i think household formation a year and a half ago was at five million units and now um it's less than a fifth of that um so it's just 
a roommate generation now where people are staying with their parents, living in the basement, or just shacking up with friends longer because home prices and rents have both gotten so far out of hand. It has been a real sea change in the rental market. For the first time in 30 years, we saw vacancy rates go up in the third quarter, which is usually when everybody is moving into apartments around colleges and things like that. So to have that happen at that point in the year just shows how much inventory was created in the rental market over the past 18 months and now what that glut is doing to rents. And some of that is masked by the fact that you look at new tenant rents and you combine that with the rents that people have been paying for a long time and you don't see how hard property management companies are working to get new residents into their communities. And so rents are really falling pretty fast. I think that's happening more in the big apartment buildings, but it's going to trickle out to single family homes too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like the houses that I've lived in in New York, they're all having, they came back to yeah, 2019, yeah. 2018 levels, which is kind of interesting for me, which is very rare in New York for rents to come down that much, right? So uh, just broadening out, is that something we're seeing across geographies? Because places like Florida seem to be still super, super hot. So it, are there some markets that continue to defy gravity like this? There are different markets for housing, for sale housing and rental. Mm -hmm. uh, but in general, both are headed down. So the Midwest has just been way more stable as a real estate market than the rest of the country. The Sun Belt is always more volatile in for sale prices and in rents. But really, the rule is that the hotter it was a year ago, the colder it is now. A place like Boise, Idaho or Salt Lake City, that's where for sale prices have really been plummeting. Rents have been more stable in a place like Salt Lake. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, migration can't offset all of the changes. So those markets just got overheated. They were fairly small markets. So uh, that's just going to increase the volatility of both for sale prices and rents. Right. So to our listeners, by the way, if you have any questions for Glenn, please type it into the chat box. We will get to them in a couple of minutes. But going back to another topic that I think I'm very passionate about, you're very passionate about just climate change, right? So it is now... Yeah. A real threat like there's no understating it it's affecting homeowners with property insurance with like homes that need to be built to withstand yeah. flooding or high winds yeah. and things like that so in 2023 we don't know what's gonna happen but yeah how do housing prices get affected by climate change and do you think that will be a sort of factor in affecting how homes get priced in certain areas that are more um climate yeah. change prone? it was a surreal experience i visited the Tampa Bay area right after Hurricane Ian hit just to check on the welfare of our own employees. And they just had so many stories of investors calling while the hurricane was making landfall. You know, the lights are flickering in their own house and they're trying to write an offer for someone. In some cases, we were trying to tour properties that the National Guard had closed neighborhood access to or that were literally submerged where we would have had to visit the property by boat. And these investors still wanted us to do a virtual tour um, where we're using our phone to guide them through the property. So even as the regular residents of Florida are calling us almost in tears because they're standing on their second floor balcony and they're up to their knees in water. They wish they'd sold earlier. We'd had a consultation with them the month before, and now they're not going to be able to sell it at all. 
there's another group of people coming from all over the world who see this as an investment opportunity. So the insurers, the lenders, the appraisers, everyone is stepping back from these coastal properties because they are so vulnerable to superstorms that are becoming increasingly common. Uh, you just can't afford the mortgage. It's not going to appraise for the price that you want. Uh, the flood insurance is going to be disastrously high. Uh, we just can't figure out a way to socialize all these risks for a regular home buyer. Uh, but what was crazy to me is that investors were stepping in to fill that gap, uh, somewhat opportunistically buying homes for a song and then hoping to rent them out later. They're the only ones, because they have cash, who can withstand the risk posed by climate change. I was going to ask you that. I mean, who is, I would not buy a house that clearly has flood, flood risk because I'm buying for how many for, for the rest of my life, right? So yeah. these investors are, it's kind of interesting. 2022 is also the year where investors, their role in sort of the housing bubble was really highlighted, right? So that's interesting. You said these are foreign buyers as well that are interested in these properties. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to vilify foreigners. It was also people from Ohio and people from Illinois who were buying these houses. Right. Okay. Um, okay. 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 In Florida, um, there is a significant Latin American investor population too. Of course. Um, but I would say that most of the people are just uh, retail investors who have an extra seven hundred thousand dollars, and they're going to buy a house. Uh, that normally would have cost four, but now it's at two, or it normally cost six, and now it's at three. Um, those are the kinds of investors we were talking to as much as anyone versus institutional investors. And they just didn't have to underwrite the purchase. They didn't have to tell an insurer or a lender about the possibility of floods. They were willing to absorb that risk on their own. Mm -hmm. My experience of the people exposed to climate risk prior to that had been more based on class. I remember visiting Houston when there was another massive flood. And I just made a casual comment to our manager there. Why would anyone choose to live in a flood zone? And mm -hmm. she said, well, why don't we just pull off the freeway right here and I'll show you the people who quote unquote chose to live there. The rest of Houston is becoming more expensive really fast. These are the people who don't have a choice. You think they're stupid? You think they don't know? that they're living in a place that's going to flood every five years. They know that, but they just don't have better choices because they don't have the money. And even in a place like Houston, which has been really aggressive about building housing and limiting home price increases, the economics of that place have changed because so many folks coming from California and the rest of the United States see what a good deal Houston is and bid homes up. So that just leaves a group of people left in the flood zone when they know the risk, but they don't have a better choice. That's a good reality check, right? Because a lot of us are living in our own bubble. And so that's yeah. a really good check that some people just cannot afford the housing and they just are stuck in situations where they are exposed to climate risk. Uh, but yeah. turning to the, the, the topic of foreign buyers, a country very close to us recently banned yeah. foreign buyers for two years and that's Canada, right? So yeah. Canada, just curious, like, um, what impact do you think? Do you think that the U.S. will retaliate? Do you think that that will no. really limit home prices? No. Okay. The real estate industry is too strong in the United States to do something like that. 
I was impressed and shocked at what Canada did. At one level, it's just a massive self-inflicted wound to the economy. If you think the housing market is bad here in the United States, it might be worse in Canada. But at another level, it's an incredibly confident bit of, I don't want to call it social engineering, but a real commitment to making housing more affordable for Canadians. In America, we talk about high gas prices or the high cost of groceries, but politicians rarely talk about high housing costs because there really is a conspiracy among many homeowners to keep housing prices high. We are not always as pro-construction as we should be. Often there's not in my backyard type movements to limit the amount of construction in a neighborhood and it keeps home prices really high in the United States. And Canada just said, screw it. They pulled the cord. They kicked out all the foreign buyers. And now that housing market is having a real correction. And it'll be terrible for the real estate industry. It'll be terrible for people who are about to sell their home. But it'll mean that a new generation of Canadians is going to be able to afford a place. And so that was a pretty bold move. <laughs> Kudos to the Canadian government for that then you, you seem to you seem to appreciate that um, <laughs> it, it, it is I appreciate it is. the guts of it I, I understand the downsides but I also think there's a real social benefit right 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 so I'm going to jump a few a little bit to reader questions and listener questions yeah yeah yeah, yeah. fun um, there, there are some very interesting questions here like what Spencer is asking what do you think the next big major disruption in the real estate industry is and I think this is interesting to ask someone like you who has sort of tried yeah. to be a little bit more creative with the real estate industry so yeah, what do yeah, you think yeah. the disruption is well the big x factor in the housing market is uh, the Department of Justice investigation there's also a class action lawsuit um, where a major law firm that has won huge settlements against tobacco has argued that the whole real estate industry is colluding to keep prices high. And the big change that would happen if this class action lawsuit went in favor of the plaintiffs would be that the person selling the home would not be the one to pay the buyer's agent. So today, if you are a buyer, you think of your agent as free, but that's only because someone else is paying your agent. And we already talked about how many incentives the builders are offering your agent to recommend their home over another home, which limits the objectivity of that real estate agent. So Redfin for a long time has tried to save home buyers money on the commissions paid to their buyer's agent. I think I am more experienced than any other human being on the planet at trying to explain that to other people. And whenever we said, we're going to take the thousands of dollars that are given to us and give some of that money back to you for working with us, um, where we're your buyer's agent, people just said, wait a minute, the buyer's agent is already free. How could you save me money on a service that's already free? Mm -hmm. Well, of course, the buyer is the only one bringing a checkbook to the closing table. All of that money comes out of the proceeds that the buyer gives to the seller. And what the industry is worried about is that because of this DOJ investigation or because of this class action lawsuit, the buyer would pay the buyer's agent, the seller would pay the seller's agent. And that would make U.S. real estate more like real estate in Australia, real estate in Europe, where there's usually only one agent, not two agents, each representing a different side. Um, and it would compress the fees that are paid. 
because everywhere else in the world, people pay about half the fee that we do here in the United States because we're paying two agents instead of one. And because one of the parties doesn't even know about the fee. Um, so we're going to find out later this year how that's going. Uh, two signs that it's a serious case. Number one, it's a serious law firm that took it on. They're undertaking massive expenses to litigate it. They wouldn't do that if they didn't think they could win. And number two, it didn't come out in a motion to dismiss or summary judgment. You know, often you try to say we don't even need to litigate the facts because the law is so clear on this point and the judge was having none of that. So um, it's a real nail biter. And if that happens, um, it's going to change how real estate portals are valued because most of their business is connecting buyers to buyers agents. It's going to change how the industry works. There might be half as many agents as there were before because people just don't want to pay a buyer's agent anymore and they work directly with the listing agent. And I think long term, it would benefit the consumer. I hope it would also benefit Redfin just because we've always been on the consumer side. We operate more efficiently than any other brokerage. So any competitor pressure like this would probably have a long term benefit to us. Uh, we understand that it's a massive change. Uh, usually the courts are pretty hesitant to institute those right away. But, you know, after Dobbs, man, I feel like big changes can happen with the swipe of a pen. What date do we have to look at? Like when is the, when is, whenever do we expect something from the court? Do you have any sense? Um, well, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, originally <laughs> it was going to be um, in the, the opening months of the year, I think by March. And now I think it's been delayed. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but that would be wild. That would be wild if that happened. It's really, it's really interesting. And something that definitely, uh, we who cover the market need to keep an eye on going back to reader questions. Um, you mentioned something about the Midwest, uh, holding up a little bit better than the rest of the country. Yeah. In terms of, yeah. So Alex is asking, and he's listening right now, what areas of the what areas are holding up the most during this downturn we're seeing in some markets? So specifically within the Midwest or any other market, which cities do you think have not really seen a huge drop in uh, prices peak to drop? Milwaukee, Chicago, uh, places like that, the bigger cities, uh, some of the smaller cities I think are more volatile, um, but the big towns are, are holding up reasonably well. That doesn't mean there won't be price drops there. It just means that they won't be like the price drops we saw in Boise, Salt Lake City, Phoenix. Las Vegas is really bad right now. Yeah. Um, so the Sun Belt is always just so topsy-turvy. It goes up faster. It comes down faster. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So... Turning to another topic that you are, again, very passionate about, which is zoning, which I think oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's actually super important. So zoning laws for our listeners and people are watching dictate at the local level what kind of house that a plot built, right? Like whether it's an apartment or a single family home. So your company has tried to make this zoning sort of legislation and everything a little bit more transparent. So share with us a little bit about that effort. Oh, well, we're just very much in favor of building more houses, I think, for the past 10 years. I've written one op-ed after another, just saying more houses, please. Um, 
some people have said, I'm just an industry stooge. Other people have said that we need to make sure that it's affordable housing and not market rate housing. We don't want builders to make money. And it just drives me crazy. If you want to build houses fast and keep prices low, you want builders to make money. You need a good partnership between the government and our developers. And I just despaired for the longest time over this. It seemed like we were never going to make any progress. But then in California, mm -hmm. you had SB 478 and then AB 2097 and then AB 2011. Basically, it legalized accessory dwelling units um, across the state. You don't have to apply for some ridiculous permit. Um, it made it easy to build uh, housing near transit. Uh, so the zoning regulations were streamlined, especially if you were building a home near transit. It eliminated minimum parking requirements. And this is in the absolute capital of NIMBYism, California. The homeowners there are very protective of their rights, um, but the state is just losing so many people because home prices are so high. And if you compare how liberal states have done at limiting home price increases or dealing with unhoused people to how red states have done. The red states have just done much, much better. And the only reason is zoning. They have made it much easier to build houses. So if you compare, say, Houston to uh, San Francisco, Houston is building on a per capita basis 10 to 20 times more housing. And that's why Houston has much less homelessness, even though it has similar rates of drug addiction, similar rates of, of poverty. It has a warm climate. It has all the things that other people talk about as the causes of homelessness when the real issue is the cost of housing and the real solution is to build more of it. <laughs> but it's not that easy, right, to build. I mean, there was someone who, uh, an analyst who covers home building was telling me the way we build homes hasn't really changed for the last what, 100 years, like the stick framing and things like that. And I was like, that's really interesting. How, how do we disrupt that? <laughs> and uh, part of it is, I guess, manufactured housing. It's really an interesting puzzle, but ADUs are- Wait, really wait, there, there is a little bit of change. So these ADUs are being manufactured right. just in a factory and even houses now, I think it's plant prefab or maybe cleave or leave or something like that. There are companies that are building houses in factories. There's an earthen block company in Texas, AECT, that's doing the same thing. It's a totally local business. They're not going to be made in China and put on a container ship. They're going to be made here. Um, but I am kind of excited. I think there's actually something new under the sun for the first time in 30 years in how houses are built. Um, they're more environmental. They go up faster. Um, there just has to be a better way than trying to get all these guys on site um, when labor is so tight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of readers sometimes, uh, by the way, we're going to extend this conversation a little bit. Five minutes, 10 minutes. All right, <laughs> five busy. minutes. We'll do five. I've got a day job. I've got to go soon. you got to run a company, Glenn. Um, but... ADUs are really interesting because I think you already have the infrastructure. A lot of people who are retired see it as a very good option to live near their kids, their grandkids. So I think there is a lot of interest, but whether you can build it is the question, right? I know in California, it's a little bit clearer, but in the rest of the country, in New Jersey, in New York, I think some of the legislation is still are under. Are you talking about accessory dwelling units? Yeah. 
I think those are going to sweep the land. Um, California, things always happen there first, but other progressive states are going to follow. There are really exciting startups like Abodu uh, that make the whole process easy. You can just go to the website and sign up. Um, it's shockingly cheap. It's like a few hundred thousand dollars to get a place with a kitchen and a toilet. Um, and, and it just looks cute. I, you should go to the website and check it out. Um, full disclosure, I, I invested like a small amount of money in it. But the reason I did is because I just thought it was cool. I think it'll help us address climate change because we need more density. And the only way we're going to do that isn't by blowing up people's backyards, but by plopping a new little house in there. It can be a great source of income or your in-laws can help you with your baby. Yeah, precisely. But my backyard is way too small for an 80 maybe an 80 um, for a little doggy, maybe. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, sorry. Can't help everybody. <laughs> Turning to a little bit on a on a serious note, right? Mm. Let's quickly just touch on layoffs. I spoke yeah. with a mortgage officer last week, and he said he's scared, like he's really scared, because his business is dead. Redfin also went through a couple of rounds of layoffs. So, yeah. what do you think twenty twenty three is going to be like? I know we all don't have a crystal ball, but um, do you foresee yeah. more rounds of layoffs? I mean, how are you planning headcount moving forward? Well, we tried to move fast. We cut deep um, because you know, we just don't anticipate another round of, of really broad layoffs. Um, you know, it's always possible that you'll make adjustments in one place or another, but I hate laying people off. It is the most unnatural act in all of business. The reason most of us love what we do is we love building companies, giving people jobs, developing their careers. And when you go through a layoff, it is just a deep source of shame. And my guess is that at least in the housing industry, most of the layoffs happened in 2022. It was pretty clear, the writing on the wall. Um, so there could be another shoe that drops for some companies. Uh, but especially the lenders, they just got out the meat cleaver. It was mm -hmm. brutal what happened. And if I were talking to that loan officer, I might say, well, if you're still there, you must be pretty good. Um, one of the reasons that it's been so hard for lenders to make money in 2022, there was just too much capacity in the industry. So before you do a layoff, you just lower your rates to the point where you're not making any money on the loan so you can keep people busy. And as the industry loses capacity, uh, the major lenders are going to start looking for margin again. They're publicly traded. Uh, so they obviously have that pressure and that gives the rest of us latitude to make a little bit of margin on the loan. Um, you know, we should be paid for just putting together the documentation and communicating with the customer, not thousands and thousands of dollars, but at least a few hundred bucks. And right now, uh, the capacity has been so high in the industry that there even there hasn't even been that margin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the mortgage bankers industry also had a, a forecast that we need to right size the industry. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's kind of. It, but to the people on the who are actually getting the news that they're laid off, it's so tough for them. Um, mm -hmm. And layoffs are not just in the real estate industry; it's also in the tech industry. So, do you yeah. think? these layoffs them, by themselves will affect housing, and especially in California at all? Do you think that is a link that we can draw? 
I don't think so. I don't think layoffs in tech and real estate will have a massive impact on the overall economy. I'm in tech, I'm in real estate. Mm -hmm. Then I have to remind myself that tech employment is about 2% of, of US employment. And there's actually a labor shortage still. You know, the mm -hmm. reason that the Fed hasn't been able to back off on interest rates and inflation is because, especially among working class people, there hasn't been high unemployment yet. And real estate is mostly the same. What was interesting to me in 2020 and 2021 is how much the stimulus checks allowed people to experiment with real estate. It's actually an expensive industry to get into. If you're not working at Redfin, especially you have to buy your own yard signs. You have to live without income for six to 12 months. You're trying to meet customers and get them to buy a house. And only rich people could do that. So many people who go into real estate used to be the tennis pro at a country club. Um, but really real estate diversified in an interesting way in 2020 and 2021 because a broad swath of Americans had a little bit of dry powder to try their hand at this industry. And that's why we had more real estate agents than listings by 2021. So now there's going to be a terrible consolidation. I do think it'll be good for the industry. My whole issue with real estate is when you have a million real estate agents and 5 million homes sold in the United States, you know that most agents are only doing five or six sales a year. That isn't a productive, fulfilling life. You're spending most of your time prospecting for customers. So Having the capacity come out of the industry is ultimately good for the overall economy. It's also good for those people. You know, there's all these shows, million dollar real estate agent and all the rest. They're just selling lottery tickets. Most people don't get that. It is a life of quiet desperation for most traditional real estate agents. So I hope the industry's close to right sized and um, that things can get better from here. I don't think that's happened yet in uh, brokerages, it has mostly happened in lenders. You were also on one of uh, one of the Netflix shows. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. For our listeners, if you want to get more of Glenn, you can watch his Netflix show because he's on one. In my house, yeah, that was a really fun thing to shoot. Um, but last final question for you, Glenn. It's something very, very macro. It's just about the Fed. Yeah. Uh, Hal is asking, and this is a fun question again, did the Fed make a mistake in 2020 and 2021? And Megan is also asking, how many more rate hikes do you see? These rate hikes have a very, very big, big impact on housing, which is very interest rate sensitive. So yeah. um, again, do you think they made a mistake and do you see more yeah. rate hikes in the cards? Listen, all these economists I revere on Twitter jumped down my throat because I appeared, I think, in New York Magazine at the end of 2021 or the beginning of 2022, just saying the Fed was way over its skis. Some of these people just love the Fed. It's not partisan. It's always trying to do its best. And so I want to be clear that in 2020, it was a crisis. It, it demanded instant action. There are always going to be some unintended consequences. But then just tell me what you were thinking in 2021. Tell me why you're still buying mortgage-backed securities. Tell me why interest rates are so incredibly low. It is obvious that the economy is starting to overheat. There's massive inflation pressure building. Um, and, and it's just going to take a long time to unwind. And, uh, you know, the, the Fed's going to be saluted for its toughness and all this other stuff, mm -hmm. but they got us into this mess too. 
I think they could have backed off a lot sooner. And mm -hmm. it's hindsight, it's 2020. Um, you know, I'm not as smart as Jerome Powell, so I shouldn't criticize. <laughs> but I did say at the time, okay, you know, I think I'm the only real estate dude saying maybe you could take your foot off the gas as we drive toward a pretty significant cliff. And now his foot is really hard on that gas and we really hard on the brake. Now they're trying to slow the economy right. down and they right. need to, and I can't fault them for that. We're going to have to suffer for it. Right. And we're seeing some gauges sort of rent and all that ease. So it will be interesting to see how yeah. Yeah. goes because some people are worried about a recession and some people are worried about a ton of other things. So it will be an interesting year, but um, any final thoughts, Glenn, as we wrap this up? Just that I think consumers are still addicted to spending. I, I, I don't, you know, I go into restaurants, they're full. Um, it, it seems like the Amazon boxes are still showing up on my neighbor's porches at the same rate. Uh, so I, I don't see yet this break in the economy where spending has really uh, decelerated. Um, but other than that, I just want to say thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you on the phone or now in this webinar. Um, so thanks for your time. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, thank you to our listeners for listening to our conversations. Always great to hang out with you, Glenn. And to our listeners, um, we hope to let you listen to the next episode, uh, which is tomorrow. This is the Daily Series. Baron Senior Managing Editor Lauren R. Rublin and healthcare industry reporter Josh Nathan Katzis will both discuss the outlook for healthcare stocks and the latest news on COVID-19 treatments and vaccines. So thank you for listening, everyone. Stay safe and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.